Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. <laughs> You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald and producer Annabelle Lee, who is sweating buckets right now because she's walked to work for the first time ever and can't compose herself. I'm home. <laughs> it's like there's a heater in here and I'm just and you're I'm not spiraling. Wearing, you're in the situation that I think every woman can relate to in winter, where oh, you've yes. got a bra on and then just a jumper <laughs> and there's no middle point. You're either sweating like you are in your nose right now. Your nose is quite shiny, Annabelle Lee. Or you're going to be in your bra doing this recording. For the people that know me, they know I'm a sweater, so this isn't surprising at all. <laughs> I'm a sweater too. I'm a deep, deep Is it everyone? No, no. Sweaters know their fellow sweaters. Right. You try to relate to us. You're <laughs> not a sweater and it's so annoying. dry right now. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually not that warm at all. <laughs> anyway, it's more just how flustered you look that's even better. Coming up on today's show, a relatively unexpected celebrity thruple and why an interview with Princess Diana from 2016 six years ago is making headlines again. Plus, a history-making bachelorette and why Billy Porter's recent interview with The Hollywood Reporter is one of our favourite celebrity pieces in maybe a very long time. But first, Michelle, how was your week? A good week. I mean, I'm trying to reflect on a time before COVID was like hurtled back into Melbourneian spaces. Anyone who lives in Australia, has probably now read or watched or listened to the fact that Melbourne is on a precipice again of a dire COVID situation. So one of those weird scenarios where I can't remember earlier in the week where everything was just chill and seemed fine and seemed normal because now I'm like, shit, I'm on edge. I'm waiting for something to happen or something to change. We're wearing masks again indoors. It's all a bit anxiety-inducing from last year. It uh, creeps up in you quick, hey? It does. It's <laughs> just walking through your life and then bang, it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it likes to keep us on our toes. Anyway, thoughts to anyone in Melbourne who is anxious or struggling with that news right now. I think it's a very, very human emotion and it's normal to feel a little bit trepidatious right now about what's going on. Totally. I have two basic bitch recommendations, which I hope are the equivalent of one banger recommendation that's niche. What have you got? All right. So Celebrity Apprentice on Channel 9. I don't think that's too basic. I don't know how many people are watching that. I'm not. Like, I would want to know how it is. And you've been talking it up heaps. Okay. A couple of reasons. I think the cast on Celebrity Apprentice this year is one of the more high-profile celebrity casts I've seen in a long time. Like, often we're let down by, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, Australia. Often we look at, like, Dancing with the Stars, celebrity version, and feel like it's a little bit lacklustre. This is pretty 
star-studded for me. Mitch watched it though and was like, I barely know any of these people. So maybe these people are just my particular taste. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like these celebrity shows have been doing quite well lately because Dancing with the Stars cast was pretty starry. Yeah. This feels pretty starry. I was looking at the cast wondering how they've managed to get half the people, like what they must be throwing at them to get them on the show. Yeah, well, I thought there must be huge pay packets, but then a piece, and admittedly, it was published by New Idea. Oh, nice one. (laughs) Came out and said that actually these guys get paid far, far less than other shows. Like they shared the pay packets and of course, compared to the average salary, they're huge. It's like $50,000, $30,000, $20,000. However, when you compare that to the pay packets we see for other shows, which are in the hundreds of thousands, it's not that substantial. The only thing I can truly think, and I know this sounds Pollyanna, but the celebrities are raising a lot of money for their chosen charities. In episode one, Whipper raised 180K for his chosen charity, and that was in one episode. So I feel like that's a big amount of money compared to other shows that they can go on. Yes, I think the charity angle would be one thing for celebrities. (laughs) I think maybe, I don't know. There's something about Celebrity Apprentice that has done wonders for the personal brands of so many Mm. other celebrities in the past that I think that has to be a draw card outside of money. Yeah, I think if you also find or have an interest in small business or like entrepreneurialism, it's a very strong thread throughout the show that you'll enjoy. My other basic bitch recommendation is Sour, the new album from Olivia Rodrigo. You told me yesterday, Zara, that you hadn't listened. Has that changed? No, I haven't listened. I thought you were an Olivia Rodrigo fan. I like I like her songs. <laughs> I'm, she looks so I know. <laughs> the thing about this is like, I'm not sure I appreciate the intense pressure of a weekend, like when everyone's listening to the album, but you have to do it at that moment or else you're not relevant or interested. It's like, I'll listen to it in good time. We're recording this on a Wednesday. You've been sitting at your laptop every day <laughs> listening to music. Literally, I've turned to you like four times and been like, just put Olivia Rodrigo you know on now. I think I know what it is. There's something about New music. I like it once it's been played a few times and I can like know it. What it do you takes think? a lot of effort. Yes. I like listening to music that I already know and I can sing along to. Absolutely. Annabelle, you're going to know this once you listen to it and then you'll start to like it. Have you listened to I the album? I haven't. Oh I'm my. in the same camp as Zara. I think it's like I need to appreciate music through osmosis. So I need to hear it in like a retail store, then on the radio <laughs> and then start to sort of piece it all together and then I know the words without having to try. So if I follow you around the office yes. today and just subtly play the <laughs> yes. album out on my phone, you might start to be like, I really want to listen to Olivia Rodrigo's album. Exactly. Right. How was your week? My week was pretty good. I have to say I spent all afternoon in the office yesterday, as I do most weeks, saying that I don't want to go to an exercise class. All afternoon, I'm like, I'm not going. I'm not going. Everyone's like, shut up. No one cares. And we had this conversation in the office where the girls were like, you never regret a workout. You go and you love it and you never regret it. Annabelle's nodding her head. I denied that, though. Yes. I was the only person no. in Zara's ear saying, just actually, don't just don't go. <laughs> Like, life's too short, skip the class. And, yeah, I had, like, an angel and devil on my shoulder. And I texted my girlfriend, Emily, who I usually go with, and I was like, nah, I'm not feeling this today. And she was like, no, you always feel better after going. And so I thought, they're right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I was halfway in there being like... No, fuck that. I definitely don't want to be here. And I was like, is this some myth that like fitness people sell you that you never regret a workout when sometimes I'm in them and I'm like, I still don't want to be here. This is probably the gym class version of marketing, like diamond companies saying you have to spend three months worth of your salary on a diamond. This is gym classes being like, you never regret a class you take. Genuinely. Anyway, so I went to my class and I went and got some dinner afterwards and what happened? 
No. <gasps> you saw Leighton and Beck Not again. Beck. I saw Leighton again. It's getting ridiculous. But because there wasn't both of them, I didn't ask for a photo. If anyone's listening to this for the first time, welcome to Shameless Podcast. We're so glad to have you here. I believe this is Zara McDonald's third sighting <laughs> of Leighton Hewitt. Was it at the pizza restaurant yes. again? Do you go anywhere else? Shut up. <laughs> Didn't someone neg you lately that you have a really basic taste in food and no. yet you're getting on this podcast and admitting you go to the same pizza restaurant just, every week? It's not every week. It's just it's close to my house. It's easy. It's cheap. It's good pizza. And it's after when I exercise so I can't be bothered cooking. You promised this last time or I made you promise. Did you get a selfie? No, because I said before they both weren't there. So I have you on a technicality. Aww. I wasn't just going up to one of them. Anyway, so that's pretty exciting. <laughs> My recommendation this week is a podcast episode of Ladies We Need to Talk by the ABC. It's a podcast hosted by Yumi Steins. The episode is called The Rage in My Pelvis, a beautiful name for a podcast episode if I've ever heard it. What Ladies We Need to Talk wanted to do in this episode is talk about female pelvic pain and not just, you know, pelvic pain that is for women with endometriosis or any other kind of condition. It's often just like random, unexplained pelvic pain that so many women experience. And I was listening to this. And as someone who's had a lot of chronic pain in my time, I have found a way to sort of, you know, like mute the symptoms a bit. But I still have a lot of random, unexplained pain that I'm just like, well, that's just the basket of unexplained pain. Right. And I feel like so many women just have random bouts of, I mean, you have random cramps all the time. I mean, it's normally coinciding with ovulation, which I call <laughs> ovulation pain. But you're right. I do have pretty intense pelvic pain sometimes where I am like hunched over that's... while we're in a meeting and just drinking a peppermint tea, hoping it subsides. Exactly. And I was like, this is a really good episode for women who are just like, oh, that's just something that I deal with all the time. Do you know what I mean? And how it can affect your day to day. So I really recommend this for any woman who experiences any type of pelvic pain, which is probably every woman <laughs> listening to this. It's a really, really good episode, particularly for the more serious types of pain. Like they do go into issues with women having sex, issues with endometriosis and things like that. But for any woman who experiences pain, this is a really good episode. Love that so much. That's a very helpful recommendation. You are so welcome. Should we get into the first segment of today's show? We absolutely should. And our first segment, I think, should be introduced with the Cuts headline <laughs> it about this story. Should. This headline's awesome. They wrote, now this is an unexpected thruple. Zara, we have a celebrity thruple and we did not see this coming. I didn't see this coming. So in case you missed it, the Daily Mail this week posted a whole bunch of paparazzi photos snapping Actress Tessa Thompson, director Taika Waititi and singer Rita Ora with their lips all kind of kissing each other. A three-way kiss. It was a three-way kiss. Which never makes sense, by the way. How can <laughs> Like when we have noses in the equation, how do the lips meet? I always see people like kind of tilt their head back so the lips can get to each other. But how can it be enjoyable to kiss two people you, at once? You're definitely catching a chin. Like someone's yeah. catching a chin. Absolutely. Yeah. Like chin. not all the lips are connecting with each other. Vulture had a pretty funny headline too, which was Tessa Thompson, Taika Waititi and Rita Ora's lips caught preparing for Thor 4 film. <laughs> this. Anyway, this is just an amazing story coming out of Sydney. Some background on this story. Taika Waititi and Rita Ora have actually been dating for a month or two. Rita is here 
filming The Voice. He is here directing Thor. And so they have been reportedly dating for a little bit. Yeah, and people were so excited. Totally. Like, obviously, there are some huge fans of Rita Ora here. Taika Waititi has a huge fan base as well. To see Rita Ora with a new boyfriend was very, very exciting for people. The pap shots of them out to dinner, out to lunch, walking hand in hand, were shopped around and snapped up by tabloids because they're such a hot item. What nobody saw coming was them pairing up with another person to make their couple a thruple. Exactly. Now, Tessa Thompson is also an actress, as I mentioned before. She's also starred in Thor, so it's like a co-worker of her. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a Marvel franchise thruple that Rita Ora, I don't know if Rita Ora has been, you would know, no, I know you love your Marvel She has not been in Thor. <laughs> that is one of the dumber pop culture questions that's come out of this podcast, is Rita Ora in Marvel? <laughs> she is an actress, though. She's been in Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh. Thank you, Annabelle <laughs> Lee. I knew she'd been an actress before, Zara, and I'm not going to say I'm not going to sit here and make any claims about the Thor slash Marvel franchise because we all know I know sweet fuck all about I'm, it. I know nothing too. I found it quite funny. Claire Lampin from The Cut, who wrote that great headline, led her story with, well, 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 what a pleasing horny development in the ongoing drama that is 2021's collection of very unexpected celebrity couples. It appears rumoured romantic unit reader Aura and Taika Waititi may have acquired a third, if only for a night. <laughs> who might that be, you ask? Based on paparazzi photos apparently taken after an all night party at the director's Sydney home, quite possibly Tessa Thompson. Incredible if true, I know. I want to know who was tipped off about this or did they just have a paparazzo happening to be kind of directing his lens at the balcony at the moment they were kind of like out there having a drink, having a bit of like a kiss. Yeah, because that's what's confusing to me because they are on this balcony that looks like a pretty standard balcony and that's how these photos have been taken. Reportedly it was like an all night party and these photos are taken in daylight so I'm assuming it's the morning after the party where they probably maybe haven't stopped. And I am wondering, it's like, has someone at the party tipped them off? The chances of a paparazzi just being there to catch this. Yeah, well, the photos look like they're either coming from above or coming from a parallel height, which means it's a paparazzo in a neighbouring building, which would be a weird coincidence to just open your curtains one morning as a pap and be like, wow, I've just stumbled on the best celebrity story of my career. It's so great. I mean, do you think the actors in question and the director in question, Taika Waititi, actually care about this? being public. No, I reckon this is great for your image. I reckon this makes you look like such a rock star. (laughs) They (laughs) look like such rock stars. Each of them looks so cool and chill and just like incredible. Who really cares? It's also just like having a kiss as a three-way couple. It's nothing super out there or super controversial. I feel like we're also at a point now where polygamy or polyamorous relationships aren't actually that contro. I agree with you. I think we're far more in a space now where it's far more talked about, I think, and far more normalised, even if it's not a pathway that most people go down. I think if this had happened five years ago, there'd be far more sort of shock to it rather than, hey, this is just an amazing celebrity story. Yeah, like iconic celebrity story. Love that for them. I do have a question for you both. If you had to be in a celebrity thruple, so you're picking two celebrities to be in your thruple, who would you pick? Annabelle Lee, you're going to come up with something random. I would love to hear your answer. It'll be Steve Carell. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've got it. (laughs) Steve Carell, me, (laughs) and Harry Styles. Nice. (laughs) I think I would go. I mean, I love that idea. I almost want to take that idea from you. But I think my heart says because Rihanna and ASAP Rocky are now in a relationship and ASAP Rocky gave some pretty incredible quotes about his love for Rihanna last week. I wouldn't mind just like hitching my wagon to theirs and being involved. You'd be a bit third wheelie though and maybe left out. Maybe that's what I want. Maybe I don't want to be one of the central characters. (laughs) I just want to swan in and out. That's so fair. 
Who would I say? Can I say something? Um, Margot Robbie and Tom Hackley, her husband. I love them and I don't know why. Coming up after the break, the BBC interview with Princess Diana that is making headlines some 26 years later and then a history-making bachelorette. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, obsessed with Leighton Hewitt, McDonald's, what have you got for me? I think that's fair. My first story. BBC's deceit over Diana interview worsened my parents' relationship, says Prince William. That is from the BBC. You've been obsessed with this story. I've really been interested in this story this week because this one's been around for a little while. So if you've seen a couple of headlines and you haven't quite understood what's going on, basically what happened this week is a former British Supreme Court judge handed down a report on Thursday that looked into a 1995 interview with Princess Diana. Diana and whether or not the BBC and journalist Martin Bashir acted improperly, unethically in order to get that interview. Now, that interview is one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic royal interview ever. You'll probably remember the interview because in it, she spoke about suffering from postnatal depression. She spoke very candidly about the stresses of royal life. She talked about self-harm and bulimia, but I think most famously, she said that line about Charles and Camilla, which was, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. This interview was a huge deal at the time, as it has been historically. It had a television audience at that time of 23 million just in the UK, which was just under 40% of the UK's population. Yeah, there has been a bit of controversy. In fact, a lot of controversy about this interview in the years since. Decades have passed and yet the whispers that this interview was immoral or was unethical have never really subsided. And now a new report has found that the BBC used deceitful measures to secure Princess Diana's interview. The way they did that is really interesting. Some of you who might have seen this story would have seen the term falsified bank statements thrown around a lot. Now, the way that the BBC used this, in particular, the journalist Martin Bashir used falsified bank statements, was to actually prove ostensibly to Diana's brother, Charles Spencer, that the palace was paying people to surveil his sister, that they had a roster of paid employees who were almost operating like a big brother kind of mechanism to surveil Princess Diana's every movement. Yeah, exactly. So Martin Bashir showed this to Princess Diana's brother in order to get access to Diana for this interview. I think the reason for so long there have been whispers is first and foremost, at the time of the interview, Martin Bashir wasn't like the go-to royal journalist. He wasn't even like the go-to journalist in Britain. So it was very much like, how did a young up-and-coming journalist like him get this gig? Because if you think about it this way, Meghan and Harry did that iconic interview this year with Oprah and they picked Oprah. Like you're picking your huge names, Mm. your trusted advisors, your trusted voices. And I think that's where a lot of this started. Prince Harry and Prince William have come out and absolutely slammed the BBC for their treatment of their mother at that time. Prince William said, it is my view that the deceitful way that the interview was obtained substantially influenced what my mother said. The interview was a major contribution to making my parents' relationship worse and has since hurt countless others. Which is totally understandable because I think what those bank statements did 
to both Charles Spencer and Diana was instill this real paranoia that the palace was out to get them, which in some ways perhaps they were. But what Martin Bashir did in falsifying these bank statements and making up this false narrative about Diana being surveilled meant that Diana was almost desperate to speak out, desperate to break free from a palace that she saw more as a prison. And by doing that, they really intensified existing tensions between Diana and the palace. And maybe it is a potential that if this interview wasn't conducted in the way it was conducted or didn't go ahead at all, we wouldn't find ourselves with the current set of circumstances that we actually had with Diana. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the point that Prince Harry has tried to make as well. He said in the wake of this report being handed down, the ripple effect of a culture of exploitation and unethical practices ultimately took her life. I mean, I know we're talking about one interview and one report here, but I don't think we can understate the impact this interview had around reporting of Charles and Diana, around reporting of the royal family and Diana, about the rift between all of them, about the fixation on her, which we know eventually did take her life. So this is a huge and historic report. The BBC now are doing everything to sort of rewrite their wrongs, but I think it will take a long time from the royal family standpoint for them to redeem themselves. It's also about 25 years too late. Yeah. So they had this opportunity in 1996. It has been found that they actually covered up Martin Bashir's malpractice and they really tried to sweep this under the rug. Thankfully, that hasn't happened. It's come back to light. But 25 years on is a huge amount of time to pass. Yeah, my second story. Bachelorette Brooke Blurton makes television history as the show's first Indigenous and pansexual star. That is from the ABC. What great news out of the Bachelor franchise this week. They got it right. They have finally got it right. We have been very outspoken on this show about how we believe they've gotten it wrong a few seasons in a row with who they've selected, particularly for the Bachelorette. Women want diversity. We want new, fresh storylines for a show that is kind of starting to feel a little bit outdated and old. Brooke Blurton is precisely the person that should be at the helm of this new season. Yeah, exactly. So Brooke Blurton is a youth worker from WA. She was first on The Bachelor on the 2018 season with (laughs) Nick Cummins or The Honey Badger. And then she was later on Bachelor in Paradise. In the wake of this news being announced, she said, I've done it twice before and now having the opportunity to choose my person and who I want in my life is truly a unique and special experience. I'm so excited and hope that I finally found that person I've been waiting for. Brooke went on radio interviews and said that her instructions to Channel 10 was she wants equal representation of women to men on the show, which will be absolutely awesome if we see that. It'll actually be really fascinating to see a change in the dynamics, to see how this is kind of carried out. I'm already excited. Like I'm already thinking about it being like, yes, an injection of life into this show finally that we'll get to watch. My friend did bring up an interesting hypothetical that if we have some bisexual or pansexual women on the show and then we have some men, could we see some cross-contestant romances? I think so. I think though the way that they structure the show is to have Brooke on this incredible pedestal, right? That she is the one that they're chasing. And I just feel like their blinkers will be on for most of the show, that they're going in there for Brooke. I mean, the casting call was still going after Mm. they announced this. So they want people who want Brooke. So I do think most of the people have all eyes on Brooke, but it's definitely a possibility. The number of people who would have applied would have gone through the roof. Annabelle, are you going to be watching? I am. I'm so excited. I fucking love Brooke. Yeah, so do I. Everyone loves Brooke. I think that's the general consensus. Yeah, absolutely. Our Instagram post, when the news was announced, we shared it on our Instagram page. One of the most 
like posts we've ever put up. So you're right, Annabelle, this is a very, very popular decision with the public. Finally, whoever is casting this show is listening to what people want. My third story. Joe Rogan says white men are being silenced by woke culture. That is from the New Zealand Herald and this sounds about right. (laughs) We had to put this in, guys. We just had to put this in. So Joe Rogan on his podcast last week said this. You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. It keeps going further and further down the line. And if you get to the point where you capitulate, where you agree to all these demands, it'll eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk. I don't quite get the (laughs) logic behind this. If you don't really know who Joe Rogan is, which I'm sure you do, I'll give you a bit of context. The Joe Rogan Experience is the most popular podcast in the entire world. (laughs) Poor Shameless. With around 11 million unique listeners per episode, nearly 200 million downloads per month, and with a 71% male listenership. So I think just on those stats at face value, there's not a world (laughs) where Joe Rogan is going to be cancelled or not allowed to talk. Particularly when you take into account the fact that he is reportedly being paid the biggest commercial audio deal in human history. Joe Rogan is reportedly <laughs> paid to animal history <laughs> audio deals. Those are kidneys. Locking <laughs> in with Spotify. Sorry. Have you heard the dolphin podcast? <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> Whatever, get going. <laughs> He's being paid apparently $100 million by Spotify. So I think what's interesting is to have someone who has the biggest platform in the world, one of the biggest platforms in the world, with one of the biggest paychecks in the world, somehow trying to argue that he and people like him are being silenced. Like I cannot understand this argument from any possible (laughs) angle. Like the way that Spotify has jumped behind Joe Rogan, the amount of financial support they have given him is actually ahead of any musical artist in history. This was a really interesting point made by Ted Joya. He's a music writer. And when the Spotify deal went through, he tweeted this, a musician would need to generate 23 billion streams on Spotify to earn what they're paying Joe Rogan for his podcast rights. Spotify values Rogan more than any musician in the history of the world. How can you know that? Like, how can you sit in his position, sit in that seat behind that microphone, get on it and make the claim that you are being silenced? Well, I think his job is to talk for, and this is inverted commas, the every man who feels like this is something that's going to happen to them. And I think that's why he's garnered such a following. But Mm. it's like, I just don't think this is going to happen. I think if anything, it's just that more people have means to speak now, more people have means to find a platform. And that doesn't mean anyone's being silenced. It just means share a voice is a little more fair. Share a voice and also you can't say whatever you want anymore and just get away with it. I think one of my main issues with Joe Rogan as someone who has listened to, I would say about a dozen of his episodes in the past, because I believe it's important for us to listen to opinions and beliefs that are different to our own. And I've done that with Joe Rogan, particularly in 2020. I think what annoys me is that he's acting like he can't say anything when that's not the truth. He just can't be a dick to people (laughs) who are marginalized. And I want to give an example. The last time I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, he had a guest on who was a right-leaning speaker. And this person was talking about Sam Smith, the world-famous singer-songwriter, who had announced that they were non-binary. And Joe Rogan and his guest were saying that it was like saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that people come out like Sam Smith and announce they're non-binary simply for attention and to carve some type of controversy around themselves so they can get more clout, more money, more attention in their lives. 
And I listened to that and immediately turned it off and thought, I am not giving this person any more space. For two men to take aim at someone and be so cruel and just so gross with their jokes, that's not okay. Like that is not the same as you never being able to speak about anything ever. We're just asking for a basic level of decency and kindness to the people around you. And if you can't do that, particularly do that for minorities and marginalised people, people are going to have something to say about it. You can't have the biggest platform in the world and never get any criticism for that. Yeah, it's interesting because in the past when he said stupid stuff, he's come out and just said, oh, I'm just talking off the top of my head and this is a direct quote. And a lot of times I'm saying shit that I don't even mean. I'm saying it because this is a fucking podcast. I'm like... But you're listened to by so many people. You do this as a full-time job. Yes, maybe sometimes things come out in the wrong way or not in the way that you intend. But generally, you should be pretty fucking careful of the Mm -hmm. stuff that you're saying as someone whose job it is to do that. So I don't know. This is just a story that gave me a bit of an eye roll this week. And that's why I thought it should be included. (laughs) My fourth story, quite a segue, if you will, Michelle. Demi Lovato comes out as non-binary, changes pronouns to they, them. That is also from the ABC. God forbid Joe Rogan's sees these headlines would love to know or not love to know actually his thoughts Demi Lovato tweeted last week every day we wake up we are given another opportunity and chance to be who we want and wish to be I spent the majority of my life growing in front of you you've seen the good the bad and everything in between today is a day I'm so happy to share more of my life with you all I am proud to let you know I identify as non-binary Lovato then added that they will be changing my pronouns to they slash them moving forward yeah they also wrote that this best represents the fluidity they feel in their gender expression. They said, I'm doing this for those out there that haven't been able to share who they truly are with their loved ones. Demi Lovato has done some incredible stuff to make a lot of young people feel heard and seen, be it their conversations about addiction, alcoholism, heartbreak, Mm. and now gender fluidity. I mean, good on them. I think they're doing a lot of good work at the moment and putting yourself out there in such a way is never going to be easy. Living your life so publicly is never going to be easy. So it's always a gift when someone chooses to play their life out publicly. Yeah. And live in a way that isn't hurting absolutely anyone. It's allowing them to live a life that feels authentic and true to how they want to live. I can't believe that anyone seems to have an issue with this when it literally affects nobody but Demi. My fifth story, New York Times criticised for publishing ad attacking Bella Hadid, Gigi Hadid and Dua Lipa for supporting Palestine. That is from Bant. Really interesting one out of the United States this week. Basically what happened is an organisation called the World Values Network took out a full page ad in the print edition of the New York Times accusing the Hadids and Dua Lipa of supporting Hamas and of anti-Semitism after they all came out and supported Palestine in the ongoing conflict in Gaza at the moment. Yeah, and they critique the actions of the Israeli government. So the connection here is that the Hadid's father is Palestinian. Dua Lipa is actually kind of a family member of the Hadid's because she has been dating Gigi and Bella's little brother Anwar for quite a long time now. I think two years. So all three women have been quite vocal about this on their Instagram pages, which I'm sure many of our listeners would have seen because they have half the world following them on Instagram. (laughs) Bella Hadid in particular has been really vocal about this. She marched at the Free Palestine protest earlier this month and uploaded a bunch of photos from there too. Yeah, so she has been super vocal about where she stands on this, but she hasn't actually weighed in on the newspaper ad. So the newspaper ad 
was pretty flammable. It said in big letters, Bella, Gigi and Dua, Hamas calls for a second Holocaust. And then in capital letters wrote, condemn them now. So while she and her sister were pulled into the spotlight with this New York Times ad, they haven't responded. The only celebrity we've heard from on this is Dua Lipa. She wrote on her Instagram stories, I utterly reject the false and appalling allegations that were published today in the New York Times advertisement taken out by the World Values Network. I take this stance because I believe that everyone, Jews, Muslims and Christians, have the right to live in peace as equal citizens of a state they choose. I stand in solidarity with all oppressed people and reject all forms of racism. It's interesting just as an aside that Dua Lipa is the only one that's spoken on this. It's clear to me that obviously they all have very different publicity teams and all of them wanted to approach it very differently when they are kind of in the same family unit. I mean, the New York Times have been widely criticised on Twitter for even running this ad. The writer Frankie Huang on Twitter wrote, I ask in good faith if the New York Times has standards for who can buy ad space because what the actual fuck is this? I mean, it sparks a huge conversation about advertising standards here because Facebook, as we know in the past when it came to the 2016 US election, has had to be very careful in the last few years about what message their ads are pushing, about the truthfulness of their ads. And so I wonder, like, surely the print edition of the New York Times has to be the same. Yeah, I mean, it's political advertising and it is an interesting decision. And I would say, from my perspective, a very questionable decision to make three female celebrities the face of a historically incredibly complicated political issue. Yeah, 100%. If anyone is listening to this and wants to help anyone who has been affected in the last few weeks in Gaza. There's a really good link on SBS where they round up a whole bunch of charities you can support. I'll put it in our show notes. Shameless Media has donated to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. That's just what we chose to do, but there are so many other ways that you can help. So we'll put that in our show notes. Yeah, if you have capacity, please do try and help out. Yeah, and just because it wouldn't be a rogue quick and dirty of mine without a sixth (laughs) story. My sixth story. This is a funny (laughs) and strange one. Dane Beams in party spat with a Yarra Valley venue owner. That is from the Herald Sun. I know this sounds... Sounds silly and football-less, <laughs> but you guys will love this story. Who is Dane Beams, you might be asking yourself. So glad you are. Annabelle's just looking I at me. No, yeah, I want Dane. Annabelle to guess first. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so we're talking a footy player. Oh, I gave it away. <laughs> yes. Okay, can I guess the team? Yes. Yeah. Um, Richmond. No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. He was an AFL star. He was a premiership player with Collingwood, actually. Had a brief stint with the Brisbane Lions. Wasn't planning on including his AFL history, <laughs> but it make you feel like you know him. Yes. Thank now. you so much, Michelle. <laughs> so Dane Beams is retired. He's 31. And last week he was attempting to organise a 30th birthday party for his wife, Callie, at the Alinda Yarra Estate when he had a bit of a run-in with the venue's owner. Yes, Alinda Estate is quite lovely too. If they're going to get a shout-out on the podcast, we might as well do it properly. Anyway, the opening line of the article is pretty funny. So, surely footballers know better than to trot out the old don't-you-know-who-I-am line. Not so for Dane Beams, who also pulled the I've got over 100,000 followers line. So, essentially what has happened here, if I may give a really simple explainer, is Dane Beams tried to organise a 30th birthday party for his wife at this estate. He was being super cagey about the numbers. So obviously (laughs) Olinda Estate had their capacity limits and he said, okay, well, I'm going over those limits. And they said, okay, well, you can't do that. And he said, okay, but some of them are children, so they don't count. And the estate was like, yes, they do. (laughs) So it was back and forth about the numbers. Eventually the estate owner was like, I can't be bothered with this. I feel like he's being a bit cagey. I feel like he's not telling me the truth. So please don't organise this here. We don't want the party. Yeah, well, Dane was 
according to the screenshots, if the screenshots are legitimate, doing some interesting mathematic work, like some very creative accounting almost, to kind of go, okay, well, children are half price. I've told you 50 adults are coming, but now I'm changing that. 40 adults are coming and 20 children are coming, so we can have 60 people at the cost of 50. To which Alinda were like, but you've already told us it's 50 adults. You can't now go back and say those people are actually kids. <laughs> Something's very confusing here. So the owner of the venue, Shelley, basically said, look, not interested in your business. You're going to need to find another venue for this party. Dane Beams did not take kindly to that. He wrote a negative review on the Alinda Yaravelli page where he basically instructed people not to give the winery their business. He said that he was going elsewhere and that he had been treated really poorly by Shelley. Shelley retaliated by saying, delete the review or I go to the media with the screenshots about <laughs> oh, yes, interaction. <laughs> she did exactly that. She went to radio. She went to the Herald Sun and she blasted him. Dame Beams told the Herald Sun that he pulled the don't you know who I am line when Shelley was saying she didn't want his business because people can't just be rude and blunt to people because you never know who you are talking to. <laughs> she could be rude and it could be some Joe Blow that has no impact on anyone in the community. The fact that she was rude to me, I'm not going to let that slide. The facts are I had this booking. She decided to pull the pin and be rude about it. I'm so confused by this quote. <laughs> that quote makes it worse. That's it's like, so why did you pull, like, why did you say, don't you know who I am? Or I have a hundred thousand followers or I'm an extra tired football player for the answer to be, you never know who you are talking to just kind of like digs his heels into something that's not a very flattering <laughs> argument. It's this line, actually. It could be a Joe Blow that has no impact on anyone in the community. The inference being that he does. I don't know. What a silly story. That's all I've got for you today. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. It was the interview that captured hearts right across the world. Billy Porter, the pop culture icon who will be playing the role of fairy godparent in this year's new blockbuster movie, Cinderella, revealing for the first time that he is HIV positive. The interview, published in The Hollywood Reporter at the end of last week, is groundbreaking and eroding away the tower of stigma that has for so long casted a shadow on people living with the condition. For Billy Porter, this interview was 14 years in the making and it comes with a huge amount of anxiety, turmoil but also relief. Zara, let's start with the obvious. Who is Billy Porter? Oh, Billy Porter is my favourite person on any red carpet. I'll start Ooh, with there. Same. He has the most incredible red carpet looks. And if you haven't seen them, we'll post a whole carousel on our Instagram this afternoon because he's just incredible. But Porter is 51 years old. He won an Emmy for his HIV positive character, Pray Tell, on the TV series Pose, which is an interesting thread we'll get to later in this segment. His acting career actually took off in 2013, which is not that long ago. I mean, he was always doing pretty good things before then, but it really took off after he starred in Broadway for Kinky Boots and that earned him a Tony Award. He's actually won a Golden Globe, an Emmy and a Tony, but no Oscar yet. So it's nearly that sort of four-way punch. There's an acronym for it. <laughs> Forgotten. He was also one of Time's most influential people of 2020. Yeah. I think it's pretty incredible that he carved such a great career for himself in his 40s. Yeah. He's now in his 50s. It's always one of those incredible stories that I think we often don't hear enough when I think young people talk about their careers and they feel like they're in such a rush to hear of people who are like, I made it huge. Mm. when I was in my 40s. And yes, he was doing incredible things before then, but got really gangbusters at over 40. Gangbusters, I, wow. It's also, I don't think it's like an adjective. I don't <laughs> think someone can just get gangbusters. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
what I do find really interesting about that time in his life is, yes, of course, he would have been achieving great things throughout his years before Hollywood fame came knocking. But he filed for bankruptcy, I think it was six years before he made his break and got that role in Kinky Boots. So this is a story that was absolutely a roller coaster for a very long time before he reached the apex of his career right now in his 50s. I mean, I want to state the obvious, first of all, to live with this kind of secrecy and this kind of shame for 14 years is just unimaginable. To be a public figure and be fighting this battle behind closed doors that nobody knows about, because when you tell people for so long throughout history, there has been so much shame. It's just so much to work through internally for Billy Porter. And it's incredibly life affirming to feel like he can find his voice now. Yeah, this was easily one of my favourite celebrity pieces in a long time. It was an interview, but all of the words were his own. So it wasn't like a journalist had any real impact or sort of any little sprinklings of their own opinion. It was Mm. in his own words. Billy Porter grew up in a pretty intensely religious family and said that the shame of being queer was compounded by his HIV status. I mean, he came out at 16 in the middle of the HIV crisis, which I think would do insane things for how you internalise shame. And although he was diagnosed in 2007, which is far beyond when the crisis was at its peak, when it was at a point where HIV could be treated, I don't think we can underestimate how that internalised shame can impact you for years and years and years. Particularly when the church that Billy Porter grew up in always sent the message to him that if you are gay, this will be hell's punishment for you. Like this is punishment to get HIV and this is what you deserve for going down this life path. So I think to kind of be born into that rhetoric and to hear that narrative parroted back to you again and again would just make you hate yourself on some level. One quote that I really adored from Billy in this piece was, my mother had been through so much already, so much persecution by her religious community because of my queerness that I just didn't want her to have to live through their I told you so's. I didn't want to put her through that. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was the statistic that everybody said I would be. So I made a pact with myself that I would let her die before I told her. That's what I was waiting for, if I'm being honest. When we moved her into the Actors Fund, nursing home I was like she's not going to be here long and then I'll write my book and come out and she won't have to live with the embarrassment of having a HIV positive child that was five years ago she ain't going anywhere I love that quote so much and that's the thing he said in his piece that he promised not to tell the world until his mother had died and then this like there's this incredible anecdote where one day on the one of the last days of filming Pose and Pose as a show is where he played for three seasons a HIV positive character so he was able and he said to work through so many of his emotions and so many of his experiences through this character but he woke up one day on the last day filming and just decided to call her and tell her his quote was and this made me so like you know when you're reading something you get your little like goosebumps this is one of the lines that really got me she said you've been carrying this around for 14 years don't ever do this again I'm your mother I love you no matter what and I know I didn't understand how to do that early on but it's been decades now stop I'm gonna cry it's just like an incredible story of resilience, I think, of how someone can carry this for 14 years and not be eaten up by what they say was their own shame. I think as well, the all-encompassing freedom that comes with truth-telling. And I think like I myself have sat with that before and been like, why am I compelled to share parts of my life that are sticky? Or why does anyone feel this compulsion to kind of share? And I feel the way that Billy Porter 
qualified this in the piece is really powerful. He said, I told the truth because at a certain point, the truth is the responsible road. The truth is the healing and I hope this frees me. I hope this frees me so that I can experience real unadulterated joy, so that I can experience peace, so that I can experience intimacy, so that I can have sex without shame. This is for me. I'm doing this for me. I have too much shit to do and I don't have any fear about it anymore. I told my mother that was the hurdle for me. I don't care what anyone has to say. You're either with me or simply move out of the way. I mean, with these beautiful words, I can't imagine that there's many people reading this thinking they wouldn't be with him. But I agree with you. I think there can be such a cliche thrown around being like the truth will set you free or whatever your it is. Truth. And it's sort of hard in practice to understand what that means or in reality to understand what that actually means. But it's absolutely true. I mean, even for people who don't have a platform like Billy Porter, who internalize secrets or who don't want to share, knowing what it can do when you just tell someone something, like it's like a weight has lifted off you, whatever that secret might be. And I think having people like him who do it on such a public stage is just so incredibly helpful. The other thing I thought of when I read this piece is the headline was, this is what HIV positive looks like now. And I thought that headline in particular encapsulates why it's so important for him in 2021 to tell his story, because I feel like we don't have an image of what HIV positive looks like now. There was just so much loss for such a long time in the queer community that I feel like when they found a way to treat this disease, we forgot that the trauma still lingers for decades, that now that they treat the disease, it's kind of not a thing. Like it's not something that society needs to worry about as much anymore or it's not something that we have faces of anymore because people simply still don't talk about it as much. But it's like this is still a really important thing and it's still a really impactful thing and this is still something that a community has incredible amounts of trauma about. Mm. And so this is what HIV positive looks like now. It looks like someone that has harboured this secret for 14 years. Yeah, it also looks like someone who is really thriving and really fulfilled and really happy. He is madly in love with his husband. I mean, anyone who reads any of the quotes about Billy Porter's <laughs> marriage will absolutely swoon over it. It's just so, so gorgeous. But I think we need to redefine how we see HIV positive people. I mean, one of my favourite recommendations from the year, and I'll say it again, was It's a Sin on Stan, which was a drama series all about the AIDS crisis in the 80s. That is absolutely a brilliant piece of art, but it didn't really speak about HIV positivity today. That simply wasn't the premise of the show. When I Googled celebrities who are HIV positive, the list was so, so long and it was so sad because you scroll through and next to almost everyone's name is a date of death. We have hardly had a celebrity come out and say they are HIV positive in a very, very long time. The only other mainstream celebrity I could find was actually Charlie Sheen. And I think that brought with it a whole other context because Charlie Sheen was at the very pit of his career in that moment. He was going through some incredibly dark personal things. He had also done some incredibly terrible things to the people around him. So when he came out there wasn't really space for a conversation about HIV and about redefining the narrative. Whereas with Billy Porter, there is. He is truly one of the first celebrities to put his name and face to this. And I do not think we can underestimate just how brave that is. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Quick tidbit about that marriage, if I may go on a sidebar. Please. So he's married to 
Adam Smith. They first met in 2009. They dated for a year before breaking up, but then reunited in 2015, which I just love. But what I love the most is they were very, very keen to get married while Obama was still the president. So they got engaged on December 29, 2016 and married two weeks later. So they had the wedding before (laughs) Trump's inauguration. (laughs) My other favourite tidbit about this marriage, if you'll allow me, when they rekindled in 2015, so they had dated, split up, and then were like really great friends, hung out with the same people. And the way it started up again was so simple and so gorgeous. So on Adam's birthday in 2015, they were watching Hamilton together and Billy reached over and just held Adam's hand as they watched. Oh. And that was the rekindling of it all. And I just found that like such a movie moment where it's like just reaching across and holding hands, then realising actually we're going to do this again and this time we're going to do it right. It's a long time to spend apart before rekindling, which I love even more. It's like really Mm. finding yourself and then coming back together. I can't recommend this piece more. We will obviously have it in our show notes. I know we've quoted a couple of the beautiful lines in here, but just read it all from the start to the end because he is incredible. I can't wait to see him in Cinderella. And of course, we will put some of his best looks on Instagram. Yeah. And let's remember 28,000 people in Australia are currently living with a HIV positive status. That was up until the end of 2018. 40 million people around the world are currently living with this condition. So hopefully stories like this make those people feel a little less alone. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I think that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening as always. (laughs) If you want to support the show, please click that big green follow button on Spotify or that purple subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. That helps us go places (laughs) (laughs) it does help us go places if you like the show please also leave a five-star review follow us on instagram at shameless podcast what else annabelle Oh, I really should add something one of these days. Um, Can we help you? We've got book club we do on have Saturday. Book club. Oh, we do have book club this coming Saturday. Yes. I'm excited to talk about Swing Time by Zadie Smith, you guys. Oh. We had to, we try not to talk about any part of the book before we get on mic, but they've been like desperate to try and talk about it and I keep shutting them down. Yeah, as soon as Annabelle walked in, I was like, what do you think about Swing Time? <laughs> so, yes, I'm struggling to hold it all in until our book club recording, but that will be dropping on Saturday morning. If you want to participate in the conversation, follow us on Instagram, The Shameless Book Club, or join our Facebook group, Shameless Book Club. We have a lot of chats about books over there because we are all bookworms. Absolutely. Hey, thanks so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears for another episode of Scandal on Monday, part two of the life and death of Natalie Wood. And we can't wait to tell the rest of that story. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. 
That's all from me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.